0: In the announcements, I forgot to mention the shoebox ministry, and so please don't forget about that. There was a lot of boxes back there on Sunday, and almost all of them are gone, so that's good to see. that so many of you took them, and uh, there's a few on the table, but then there's also some packed right next to the chair back there. And so would you grab one of those? Make sure you read the instructions. Don't put anything in there you're not supposed to put in there. Don't just put toys in there and treats in there. Make, uh, Make sure you put... A note in there, a letter, a card, and uh, this is this is not just making uh, Christmas for a kid. This is a first step in the gospel, and and by God's grace, discipleship for a kid. And so, be a part of that, and God will use you. And it, it, it's a little a little. Can we, can we even use the word sacrifice for us? I don't think we can. But the impact it will it will give one of these kids is astronomical. And uh, so pick those up, and I'm going to be gone from the office most of this week, so bring them next Sunday. Bring them on Sunday, and then we'll take them back to the office after that. We are in Daniel. The last sermon in Daniel. Daniel chapter 12 is where you can turn. It's been kind of an interrupted series, different sermons in and out, but we got through the book of Daniel, and I invite you to turn to Daniel chapter 12 and begin by reading the first four verses. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble, such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time... Your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. This is speaking about the last that we have pretty much revealed in all of Scripture. As far into the future as we can see is talked about right here in Daniel chapter 12. But we're included in this as well. As those days grow closer, it says that the many shall run to and fro, at the end of verse 4, and knowledge shall increase. And I think it's fair to say this is where we're at. We're getting closer and closer. Think about information. Information is kind of like calories. For most of human history... People had a deficit of calories. They needed more than what they could get. And they were on risk dying if they didn't get it. But now we find ourselves at a time when we've got plenty of calories. Too much calories, in fact. And even more recent than that, I think information. We find ourselves in the same place information-wise. Most of human history, you couldn't get enough information. Now we have too much information. More than we can even stand. Knowledge shall increase. Many shall run to and fro. This week, my family went on vacation down to Destin, Florida. We went there and back. And tomorrow, Rachel and I are gonna be heading to a Great Commission Collective Conference in Phoenix. So we'll be heading out tomorrow. While we're there, I think we're gonna jog up four hours real quick to see the Grand Canyon and back, and then we'll be back here again. In total, that's about 5,000 miles between those three trips. And this says that in the end, many shall run to and fro. That's a lot of travel. You know, if I was riding in Daniel's time, if I was to make that same trip, and I was lucky enough to have a horse, it would take me about 50 weeks to make that entire trip. And here I'm going to be doing it in less than two, really, just about two days total of travel. And so we see that we're in a time of increased knowledge, we're in a time where Planet, the planet is running to and fro People are going here and there And in these mysterious words Daniel is instructed To shut up the words And to seal the book Until the time of the end To shut it up and to seal it I think what this is telling us that To seal it means it's short It's not going to be broken But to shut it up I think it means It's not going to be fully known Until the end when it is opened up again We see an opening of the seals in Revelation And so I think we have to hold our interpretation loosely here Knowing that it might not be completely opened to us yet In verse 9 of the same chapter It says he said go your way Daniel For the words are shut up and sealed until the end Until the time of the end so I do believe that this will be made clear to those who are there at the time of the end, and we're drawing closer to the time of the end, but though we shoot for excellence and in interpretation, we need to hold that interpretation with a loose hand, because we're, we, may, we just can't say with certainty every every uh, that we understand every prophecy, especially this far into the future. And it's difficult for us to To hold in our understanding with strong conviction, but still not be judgmental to others that have a different position than us. That's important. It's important to hold the things we know for sure as tightly as we can. Aim for excellence in interpretation. But in the areas that we're not sure we're going to allow breaks. Maybe I'm wrong, maybe you're wrong, but we can both live and love and minister together in some of these areas that we don't have as much certainty As we understand this book, let's let's first look at kind of an overview of the whole book. Let us seek to be what we see here in verse 10. It says, Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. in verse 3 says, Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So let's aim for that. Let's try to be a people that are pure, that are refined, that are wise, that are being refined and growing in wisdom. And to do so, I think it would behoove us to kind of look back at where we've been in the book of Daniel. Just a quick overview. Take a little bit of time in overviewing the book of Daniel. Generally speaking, I think we can... Break the book of Daniel into two veins that both start with Ari. Read. The first one is refusing. The first vein that we see this theme in Daniel is refusing. We see Daniel and his cohorts refusing to give up on their God, refusing to bow down to foreign cultures and foreign gods, refusing to submit to submit to godless institutions, refusing to abandon their faith, their hope, their spiritual disciplines, refusing to not pray and study God's word and fast and walk righteously. Though they were bombarded on all sides to abandon those things, they refused to. And this narrative largely takes place in the first six chapters of Daniel. And we see it in all those familiar stories. But there's a second vein in the book of Daniel, and that's revealing. There's a revealing of things yet to come at the time of the writing, a revealing of things yet to come, even at this time, perhaps. There's prophecy throughout the book of Daniel, not just in the final six chapters, but throughout the entire book. And as I think about these two veins of refusing and revealing I, think, I find it interesting that experientially, from our perspective, when we're in that vein of having to refuse the pressure around us and submit to the world, it feels like God is not in control. Uh, experientially, it's implied that God is not in control, but when we look at the revealing, we are convinced God is in control, and we live in this, in this tension between the two. How could all this godlessness happen That I have to stand firm And stand fast and resist And yet I know and I'm sure That God is completely in control So let's go back And let's look at some of the lessons of refusal That we've already learned Just as a matter of review The first one you'll remember Was we need to trust God's sovereign control Even over terrible circumstances This if you want to just look back to Daniel chapter 1 real quick And you'll see that familiar verse It says in verse 2 And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah Into his hand With some of the vessels of the house of God And brought them to the land of Shinar to the house of his God And placed the vessel in the treasury of his God So here we see disaster On a national scale We see complete turmoil on a personal scale. Daniel is stripped of his family, his culture. We see even his name. He's taken to a foreign land. He's held captive for the rest of his life. He never goes back. And yet, he teaches us, he teaches you, that you must trust in God's sovereign control, even over terrible circumstances here. Your action here is to trust When I'm looking in the word of God, I always want to go, what's my action here? What is it that I'm being called to do? And here, your action is to trust. So let's pull this universal truth into whatever you're currently facing. Positive or negative, what is it that's front burner for you right now? Everyone has something on the front burner. What's going on in your life? Maybe it's political, cultural, personal, medical. What's your primary concern? right now today is it the pandemic or a governor's mandate or a candidate or surgery or a lawsuit or a harvest that needs to come in or a spouse's ultimatum or a child's repentance or a destructive addiction whatever it is would you maybe be good just to write it down If not on paper, write it down in your mind right now. Take a moment. Be very clear with yourselves. Visualize whatever this front burner issue is. Maybe it's something better. Maybe it's a promotion. Maybe it's a new love, a new person in your life. Whatever it is, just suspend it in your mind with nothing else but that. And just look at it with all its ugliness or all its beauty or whatever it is. And your action is to trust that God is sovereign even over this That's what we see in Daniel's life God is in control God is in control even over this And these, these principles build on each other Not only does do we trust in God's sovereign control Even over the terrible circumstances But we also resolve to remain devoted to God Regardless of the circumstances Do you remember that lesson in chapter 3? Verses 16 through 18, where Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah are thrown into the fiery furnace. And in that moment, we learn something about them, don't we? We learn that they had resolved to remain devoted to God regardless of the circumstances. that they would not bow down. They would not yield to the pressure of the multitude of people. Can you imagine that? Some some people here don't wear a mask when they go into Walmart. And most people in Walmart are probably wearing masks, I think. And you feel the pressure. You notice that you're the one that's not. Or maybe you're the 10% that's not. Imagine if everyone you see is bowing down to a God. and You're the only one that's not. And the king gave them a second chance to reconsider what they would do. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king in verse 16, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not... Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. They had resolved to remain devoted to God, regardless of the circumstances. And you remember, as we studied that, we pulled out four words that described their resolution. That described their devotion. Four words that also described Daniel's prayer life. The words were dependence, consistence, repentance, and persistence. You see those again. Dependence. Utter dependence upon God. No plan B. I'm not going to get myself out of this. I need God. If we're getting out of this, God's going to get us out of this. Complete dependence. Now think about these four words also in light of that, whatever that front burner issue of yours is. Whatever that is, are you, are you. Demonstrate, are you exercising dependence on God in that issue? What about consistency? Consistency. Always, always, always doing it. Thank God we're not, our entire life is not judged by a single day. But we have to live it one day at a time. And tomorrow's a new day. Tomorrow's the best day because it's Monday. I love, I love Mondays. Because no matter how badly I screwed up the week before, the sun rises and I get a new chance and a fresh week. Tomorrow's another day. No matter how badly you fail, tomorrow you won't. You're going to start exercising that consistency in your righteousness. Repentance was another word. Dependence, consistency, repentance. Sometimes, no matter how badly we want to do what's right, we're coming up from doing it because we don't have the courage to look back and say, I know what I was doing was wrong, and now I'm going to repent of that sin. Lord, I confess to you that sin. I'm going to say it as ugly as it is. I'm going to say it out loud to only you, God, so you hear it and I hear it. So long as it remains unspoken, it has power over us. Repentance and then persistence. Never giving up. Keep pushing. Keep trying. You're going to fail, but you're going to keep going. What does it say in Proverbs? Righteous man falls seven times, but rises again. God's people need to have a resolve to remain devoted to God, regardless of any circumstances. A third um, act of refusal to cave in to the world around us. We learned that you must anticipate anticipate the blessing that comes to those who are devoted to God. Anticipate the blessing that comes to those who are devoted to God. In the life of Daniel, we see a man who had a unique perspective of his place in the world around him. He had a unique understanding of his position before God. And as we look at his life in totality, the beginning of the book, he's a young man. The end of the book, he's an old man. And somehow throughout all of that, all that opposition, he rides rides the the ruckus out like a cork on troubled water. Just always coming to the top. No matter how big the wave is, it doesn't bury him. This is a man who's blessed. This is a man who had a unique relationship with God, walked with God. Feasted on God's word. And and the blessings that we see Daniel have throughout the book are afforded to you as well. And I would say even more. More of blessings available to you because we're on the other side of the accomplished gospel. You can write out that storm too. But your action word here is anticipate. Anticipate the blessings That come to those Who maintain their devotion To God Are you anticipating that? Or are you just so so Geared down into I've got to do it You know the energy comes from anticipating the blessing When we were down in Florida We, we tried to do it as cheap as we could So we brought food with us Went to Walmart, got food We had a kitchen there so it was really good By the end of the week, food was out Good, we didn't have to take as much home Friday morning, you know, we really do need some breakfast, we need some nourishment to get us on our journey, so I went out to get some breakfast for everyone, and as I was driving in this unfamiliar town, going down the road, what was I looking for? My eyes were in the sky, I was anticipating what? The the golden arches, right? That's what I need to bring back to my family. The hunt and gather back Mickey D's for my family. But I was anticipating it, and I couldn't see it. And I was driving and driving. How could you not find a McDonald's? But then I saw something even better. Chick-fil-A. Yes, that's the answer. But you know what? I was anticipating. I was anticipating. I'm not going to go back empty-handed. And what I found was went back better than not empty-handed. I went back with something better than he even left anticipating. And the same is true for you if you're resolved to walk with God, if you're resolved to maintain your devotion, and you anticipate, I know this is going to bring blessing. I know it will. Because <laughs> God promises it will. And every example I find in Scripture, He demonstrates that this kind of living will bring blessing. So God also taught us one last thing as we look at the life of Daniel, just in review. He taught us something about the peculiar power of his presence. Do you remember that? When we looked at um, the three young men in the fiery furnace, we learned that before God rescues us from our suffering, he joins us in our suffering. Remember the king looked in, threw three men in, and yet four men were walking around, and one of them looked as if he were the son of God. God could have rescued them out of that furnace without joining them, but he chose to join them in their suffering. Before he delivered them from their suffering. And as you think about whatever that front burner issue is for you. This principle is the same as well. And you need to meet God where he meets us. And where does he meet us? Where did he join in our suffering? At the cross. In the gospel. So whatever that issue is in your life that you're looking for resolution or you're just going to, you know, positively navigate your way through it, you need to walk out of here today thinking, okay, how does the gospel play into this situation? Is there some redemption that needs to be done? Is there some confession and repentance that I need to do? Is there some surrender? Is there some dying to myself? Am I expecting too much? Do I need to die to myself as Christ died for me? Am I really following Christ's path here? He, he, He carved the trail for us. He blazed the path. Am I going where he would have me to go? Does this, whatever this issue is, is my response to it or my fuel upon it? Is it exalting Christ as the Lord of my life? Where is the gospel in whatever situation you're really most fervently navigating right now? Where's the gospel found in that? Because if you can nail where that is, you'll see, you will find God is right here now. Now God is with me in this. Does God feel distant to you sometimes? Make a beeline to the gospel, to the cross, and you will experience the presence of God. So so there there was a lot of the lessons that we learned through the the resistance that we saw, the the refusing of these men to cave into the sinful pressures of the world around them. Well, let's think about that second vein for a minute, the revealing. As we think about what has been revealed to us in prophecy in the book of Daniel, uh, I think there's a few things. One, a timeline was revealed to us. You remember with all the different images, really it was the same big general timeline that was being revealed. You had The statue that had the different metals for the different body parts. And then you had the beasts that came out of the ocean. And then you had the goats. And all these were revealing the same general timeline of the six kingdoms. Babylon would be followed by Medo Persia, would be followed by Greece, would be followed by Rome. And then it gets a little mysterious to us at this point. Perhaps now, at that point, we're looking in the future for this revived Roman Empire, this mixed empire. But then for certain, that final sixth empire is the eternal king of Christ. Comes in like a stone, not cut by hands, and destroys everything else. And so that was the general big timeline that was revealed. Turn to Daniel chapter uh, 10. I want to pick up, no, Daniel chapter 9, I'm sorry. Daniel chapter 9, and we see something else about this timeline. Not just the six kingdoms, But the 70 weeks of Daniel is a familiar term. You can think of them as the 77s. week is 7. It's 77s. When Zach preached, he left off at verse 24 in Daniel chapter 9. Remember, this is the explanation that is given to Daniel. Don't confuse those 70 weeks with the 70 years that are found in the beginning of Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9 verse 1 it says in the first year of Darius the son of Ahasuerus by descent of Mede who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans in the first year of his reign I Daniel now an old man now an old man I Daniel perceive in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem namely Seventy years. And so in Daniel's study of the word of God, primarily, in Daniel, he's looking at Jeremiah, he discovers that this desolation, the dispersion of Israel, remember they were punished. He, 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 he was one of many that were cast out of Jerusalem. And this punishment was so severe, but he was reading in Jeremiah, and you don't have to turn there, I'll turn there for you, Jeremiah chapter 25. And we'll put on the board, I think, verses 12 and 13, but I want to start back in verse 8. We see what we read the exact same words that Daniel read. They were written before Daniel, they were contemporaries to some degree, but these were still words that were recognized as God's word. He says, Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not obeyed my words, behold, I will send all the tribes of the north, declares the Lord. And for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against these surrounding nations. I will devote them to destruction and make them a horror, a hissing, and an everlasting desolation. So this is Jeremiah is preaching to Israel while Israel was still Israel. And he's warning them, if you guys don't repent, you're going to get judged. Moreover, I will banish from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride grinding of the millstones and the light of the lamp this is just life without any problems this is what Daniel experienced as a young boy he went to weddings and he heard the laughter and he had the mirth and he heard the grinding of the millstone but this whole land shall become a ruin and a waste and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years then after 70 years are completed I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans For their iniquity, declares the Lord Making the, their land An everlasting waste <coughs> Excuse me, sorry about that And so we see Daniel is reading this, Perhaps in his morning devotions Just like you do when you get up every morning And you read God's word And he's reading this And he's calculating in his head And he's thinking the 70 years are almost up Jerusalem and Israel Are going to be restored Because he believed in prophecy And that's what drove him to prayer in chapter 9 And then when we get down to verse 24 in chapter 9 Then we see God explaining to him Even further in the future Yes, Israel will be delivered But look what he says 70 weeks, or I'm just going to say 77 The week is 7 days But we're we're sure from the timeline that we see That this is not talking about Seven weeks It's not talking about seven sets of days It's talking about 70 sets of seven years (laughs) Seventy weeks are decreed About your people And your holy city To finish the transgressions To put an end to sin To atone for iniquity Listen to these words Listen to the finality of these words He was prophesying We're going to put an end to sin. To atone for iniquity. To bring in everlasting righteousness. And to seal both vision and profit. And to anoint the most holy place. He's talking about the gospel here. He's talking about what we experience in redemption. When we are born again and come to know Christ as our Savior. He says... In verse 25, Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem, that means when it's first creed, to the coming of anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks, then sixty-two weeks, and it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in troubled times. And after the sixty-two weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. The anointed one is Jesus. And so he's prophesying here, I believe, is that you have this uh, the 7 and then the 62, so that's 69 weeks. And you have this decree for Jerusalem to be rebuilt, and then it will be cut off. And the, specifically the Messiah will be cut off. And so we have to think about When was this decreed And we have a couple options Perhaps it was Cyrus Decreeing that, that Jerusalem could be rebuilt In 538 or 536 B.C. Perhaps it was Ahasuerus When he decreed it to Ezra Perhaps it was Ahasuerus When he de- declared it to Nehemiah In either 458 B.C. or 444 B.C. We don't know exactly which one We can have you know educated guesses Which one is best But either way Basically, when you combine those 69 sets of seven years, that brings us to about 30 AD. What happened in 30 AD? That's when Christ died on the cross. And so we see this prophecy take place. The question is when does this 70th week of Daniel take place? Did it happen in the past? Will it happen in the future? There seems to be, in my understanding of this, a distinction between those first 69 years and that final uh, set of seven years. 69 sets of seven and that final. Look what he says, verse 27. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. So going whoever this person is, this person that is responsible for the desolations, He's going to make a covenant for one week, but halfway in, he's going to put an end to the sacrifices they the offering, and on the wing of abomination shall come to one, shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. We don't know exactly. This, I believe this is speaking about the tribulation we read about in the book of Revelation. I feel, I feel my interpretation of scripture is pressing towards excellence, but You know what, I'm going to hold it with a loose hand because we're not there yet. I think it'll become more clear the closer we get. But we also see in this revealing vein of Daniel, not just a general timeline, but we also see coming times. Daniel specifically was told of coming events that would be upon him. We see this in chapter 11. Not just a general timeline, but the specific specific events to come, who would conquer Babylon, and then who would conquer those Medes and the Persians, and we see this in Daniel chapter 11, if you want to look over to Daniel chapter 11, and we'll see in verse 1, as for me in the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him, and now I will show you the truth, behold, three more kings shall arise in Persia. Of course shall be far richer than all of them. And when he has become strong through his riches, he shall stir up against the kingdom he shall stir up all against the kingdom of Greece. Then a mighty king shall arise who shall rule with great dominion and do as he wills. Now in history we recognize that that fourth king was Xerxes, who was also known as Ahasuerus in Esther. That brings Esther into this. We see that he stirs up the king from Greece. We know that's Alexander the Great, 334 B.C. It says, um, And soon as he is risen, his kingdom shall be broken and divided toward the four winds of heaven, but not to his posterity. We know that his kingdom was split, but not between his sons, but between his generals. We read this in the history books prophesied in Daniel prior to those history books being written. It says not according to his posterity Nor according to his authority With which he ruled Each of those four rulers Never accomplished what he accomplished Their kingdoms were much smaller than his And then also it says For his kingdom shall be plucked up And go to others besides these His his rule was cut short He died as a young man So we see such details In 10 and 11 These were just Indications to Daniel Of the times that were coming But finally we see The end times as well In chapter 11 and in chapter 12 We see the end times And I'm not going to get into that right now But if you're interested I would be more than happy to do a Bible study with you Or maybe you would like to do one with someone else in the room And really try to marry and combine What we learned from Daniel And what we learned in Revelation I think that would be fruitful and helpful but I want to go back to that refusing vein in Daniel. I want to end on that because we see one more account, kind of a moral stand we must make as these end times approach closer and closer. In verse 32, speaking of the Antichrist, he says, He shall seduce with flattery those, this is in chapter 11, chapter 11, verse 32, He shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant. But the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. Here's where I want to conclude our thoughts for the day. Where's our action in this? What are we supposed to do in this? And here we see three. It says, the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. First of all, your action is needed. Know your God. Know your God. We only have so much time left. We're approaching the end quickly here. Your life only has so much left, and then it'll be over. Then it'll be gone. Now is the time to know your God. And how do we know Him? We spend time with Him. We speak to Him in prayer. We listen to Him through the Word of God. We walk with Him in our obedience. You think you get to know God when you sin and find Forgiveness, just wait till you walk consistently in obedience. Then you really get to know your God. Then you really get to know him. And what are you spending your time on if not getting to know your God? Unless you know who he is, you will be full. It says at the end times that even the elect, if possible, will be fooled by the Antichrist. We are not smart enough. We are not wise enough. The only thing we can hope for is to know God well enough that we would be tucked in his wing. Now is the time for you to know your God. Know your God and stand firm. Do you see it there in verse 32? The people who know their God shall stand firm. This is the spiritual worker that we talked about a few weeks ago. And I wanted to spend more time in it, but I'll just briefly read from Ephesians chapter... uh, I'm sorry, from Galatians chapter 6... I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 6. Listen to the words. The command. All those thousands of years later, this command remained to stand firm. Finally, Paul says finally, no other words I can give you but these. I'm ending the letter. This is it. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Don't be strong in Ross and in the power of Ross's might. Don't be strong in Derek and in the power of Derek's might. Or Jada and in Jada's might. Be strong in the Lord and in his might. This is you can't get there unless you know who your God is. Stand. Know your God. Stand firm. And with this I ask our worship team to come forward. Take action. Again, verse 32: the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. I believe the King James says, do great exploits. This gets this really returns us to one of Jonathan's main points last week. is it's not enough to know. You need to take action. I'm convinced that 99 out of 100 times, we do not fall into sin. We do not drift into uselessness for lack of knowledge. It's for lack of action. Just this morning, I was talking to this family on the front row. And she said, yeah, our fireplace isn't working. I don't know what's wrong with it. Immediately, her husband, I know what's wrong with it. It's a couple They don't have fire. Not for lack of knowledge. It's for lack of action. It's time to act, brothers and sisters. It's time to move. It's time to move on what we know. As the Spirit leads us. As God's Word instructs us. As we are convicted in our hearts. As we have the knowledge, we must act. Don't delay it. What are you waiting for? We must do it now. We must act. We must know our God. Stand firm and act and as we look towards the end of all times, you know, Matthew chapter 24 is kind of Jesus' book of Daniel, or Jesus' book of Revelation. It's very apocalyptic in Matthew chapter 24. Listen to what how he concludes this. He says, And the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So, when we behave this way, knowing our God, standing firm, taking action—all those principles we saw in Daniel's life, living out the gospel—that's getting the—that's proclaiming the gospel to the whole world. If you're not living it out, you certainly aren't proclaiming it. The place to start is in your home. Really, the place to start is in your bed before you get out of A bed in the morning. You got to start living the gospel there. And then, when you live the gospel there, and you live the gospel with your family, and you live the gospel at work and you live the gospel in your home, then you start proclaiming the gospel throughout the whole world. That's our action. and That's the thought I want to conclude on today. And when we do that, we quite literally are preparing the way for the Lord. Let's stand and sing.